Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallaton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. Well, um, I started a series uh, before I came off of, before I went on vacation, so I guess that was about two, two weeks ago, um, called Becoming an Apostolic People. And I don't know, I started on Sunday night, so I don't know how many of you are serious enough about God to come on a Sunday night. <laughs> Thought I'd plug that like that. Um, but um, I, I want to talk about, the, uh, about four attributes of apostolic people. Now, um, these aren't the only four attributes. These are the four attributes I felt like I was supposed to share this morning. And the first one, the first attribute, I actually did a whole session on it on uh, two Sunday nights ago. So if you, um, if you want to hear more about I'm going to share a little bit about this, but if you'd like to hear more I actually did an hour teaching on the first attribute that I'm going to share this morning. And so attribute number one is that we are a covenant people, therefore we belong to a family. And we are not here because we agree. Now, um, many years ago, uh, in fact, the very first year I was here at Bethel, that Kathy and I came to Bethel, um, I was laying on the floor in our little apartment, and the Lord talked to me and he, uh, through an encounter, and he said, we're moving from denominationalism to apostleships. Now, I've shared this many times, and it's in two of my books. But uh, for the sake of kind of giving you a foundation for what I'm going to share today, I feel like this encounter is kind of important for you to understand the rest of what I'm saying. He said, we're moving from denominationalism. Everybody say, ism. We're moving from denominationalism <laughs> to apostleships, asking what that means. Now, before I go on, I'm not talking about denominations. It doesn't matter what it says over the door of your church. It only matters what it says over the door of your heart. So I'm talking about the ism. Um, The Lord told me that in denominationalism, people gather when they agree, and they divide when they disagree. Now think about this. In fact, the Lord gave me this example in the encounter. He said, think about this. How many times has the Catholic Church split in 2,000 years? The Catholic Church is about 2,000 years old. Does anybody know? Well, the answer is two. The Catholic Church has split two times in 2,000 years. How many times has the Protestant Church split in 500 years? Okay, let's make it easier. How about in the last 30 days? Yes, and the point I'm making, of course, is what do the Catholics call their, their leaders of their churches? Father. But how many understand that Martin Luther, he left the Catholic Church because of a doctrinal disagreement? Remember the 95 Theses nailed on the door of the church? And so he left. I'm not saying he should have or shouldn't have left. I'm simply saying he did. He left in a, in a doctrinal disagreement, and we became Protestants. Now, the word Protestant at first meant pro-Testament, as in pro-Bible, but within six months it meant protester, and we became protesters. Now, and so what I'm getting at is this: is that in denominationalism we gather around truth. So, how many know truth is important? In, in, uh, in apostleships, in the body of Christ. But in denominationalism, we gather because we agree. What's the challenge with that? Well, we, we divide when we disagree. So if I'm a shepherd in denominationalism, what do I have to make sure we do? We have to make sure we don't disagree. How do we have a disagreement? We have an opinion. What creates an opinion? A thought. What do I have to make sure you don't do in denominationalism? I have to make sure you don't think, because thinking is dangerous business in denominationalism. So, look at this. So, when we preach in denominationalism, we preach to convince. We don't preach to inspire. Because inspired people actually start thinking, and thinking is dangerous business. 
In my mind, it's one of the reasons why the greatest inventions are no longer coming from the church, because the church is rooted in denominationalism. And so if you'd like to hear more about that, you might want to listen to that, uh, to that message I did a couple of weeks ago, or read my book, Heavy Rain. <laughs> it's a good plug for a book. So, we're, so an apostolic people, they gather because, not because they agree, but they gather around family. They go, there's my father, my mother, my uncle, my cousin. And how many know everybody has a crazy uncle? <laughs> so you don't get to choose your family, you only get to choose your friends. When you, when you received Jesus Christ, you became part of a family. You know, how many of you know that the church was not born in a, in a conference or a convention? It was born in a covenant. Covenant means I'm with you till death, on to death. And when we received Jesus Christ, we were bonded, we belong, not because we actually believe exactly the same thing, but because we have one Father, and because we have a family, and we become part of a family, and this is an apostolic family in which we belong. Can I get it? Amen. Amen. And that means many things. It means I don't necessarily agree with the people that are in this room, except for Bill, of course. I have to say that in case he's listening. But I am a family with them. And that, that wineskin creates, creates a structure in which people can live and think and have inspiring ideas. Because just because I have a different idea than you doesn't mean I no longer belong with you. Are you with me? And it means that I, don't all, that I don't redefine the Bible to mean if you don't agree with me, then you're not loyal to me. How many of you know, you don't even know if I'm loyal till we disagree? <laughs> Good word, Chris. Thank you for that. <laughs> Moving on. Number two. So here's the four attributes I'm sharing about apostolic people. So number one, apostolic people gather because they're a family. Number two, we believe in the impossible Therefore, we count on miracles to happen to us and through us. We believe in the impossible. Therefore, we count on miracles to happen to us and through us. I actually like when they happen through me. I don't really like when I need them. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is like that. Every time I get in a problem that is like unsolvable, the Lord's like, I thought you wanted to live in miracles. I'm like, no, I want to help other people live in them. <laughs> but Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, and it is the righteous, in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written that the righteous will live by faith. How many know we live by faith, we don't live by facts? That doesn't mean we're irrational, that means we live by a higher level than the law of physics. That means that truth overrides the facts. The doctor may say you're going to die, but the truth may be you're going to live. We live by faith, are you with me? In fact, faith says there is nothing, Luke chapter 1 verse 37 for there will be nothing impossible with God. Nothing impossible with God. Jesus said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing means not a thing. So that was so deep. That's in the Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Everything is possible. I, I have to live with everything's possible. Apostolic people live by faith, and therefore they believe anything's possible. <laughs> Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, Jesus has just encountered his disciples. He's come down from a mountain, and they tried to cast a demon out of a little boy and couldn't do it. Jesus, as you know, cast the demon out of the little boy, and they say to Jesus, why could we not cast the demon out? And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you should read it like this, and if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, <laughs> then you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Let me read that verse again. Because of the littleness of your faith, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing. will be, help me, impossible to you. Now, it's interesting. Jesus encounters these guys. They say, hey, how come we couldn't get the demon out of the kid? And Jesus said, because the littleness of your faith. For if you have a faith of a mustard seed, is Jesus saying, you know, your faith is smaller than a mustard seed, you little wimpy people. No, the word littleness there means brief. Jesus is saying to them, listen, it only takes a little bit, but you have to keep it in the game. He's saying, your faith is just brief. You try once, it doesn't happen, and you walk away. He said, your brief faith is keeping you from miracles. How many know it's like the Luke 18 story of the widow and the judge? Do you remember that story? And the widow says, you know, the widow says, you know, give me justice, and he doesn't do it. And give me justice, and he doesn't do it. Give me justice, and he doesn't do it. Give me justice, and give me justice and he need to give me am i wearing you out yet <laughs> and the judge says not because i fear god and not i really don't like this widow but because she drives me crazy <laughs> i will give her what she wants and the next verse says jesus says and when i return will there be faith on the earth <laughs> and faith is directly related to i don't quit i put my little bit of faith in the fire and i leave it in there until i succeed How many of you know perseverance is a fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, fruit of the S, big S Spirit. That means the devil doesn't have it. Sometimes you don't overpower the devil, you just wear his butt out. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to say butt when we're streaming. but (laughs) Matthew 13, Jesus talked about, he presented a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Here we go again, mustard seed which a man took and sowed in a field. And it is the smallest of all seeds, but when the plant becomes a tree, it's one of the largest trees in the garden. And it becomes a place where the birds nest in its branches. He takes a mustard seed, he plants it in a garden. It's the smallest seed in the entire garden. It looks insignificant. But how many know that when it grows, it becomes the largest tree in the garden? You take a little bit of leaven, you just put just a little bit in a bunch of dough, and what happens? It causes all the dough to rise. How many understand it doesn't take a lot? It just takes a stand with faith. Nebuchadnezzar, he destroys Israel. He takes everyone captive, all these, these kids captive, and he makes one strategic mistake. He thinks that he has captured Israel, but he made one mistake. He took Nebuchadnezzar, he took, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, captive. <laughs> a little bit of leaven. The most powerful kingdom in the world at the time, Babylon. He takes four boys, and what happens? They cause all of Babylon to rise. They lead Nebuchadnezzar to God. <laughs> they lead Cyrus to God. <laughs> they lead Darius to God. How many understand? It doesn't take a, little, a lot. It just takes you. You're the X factor. You're in the community. You're just a little bit of leaven. Oh, I don't, I'm not doing much. You're doing a lot. You're destroying the works of darkness, and you're bringing the kingdom wherever you go. You may be by yourself, but you ain't alone. 
Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe that you have them, that you've received them, and they'll be granted to you. Let me do it better. Therefore I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. How many understand when you pray, you're supposed to have faith? If you pray and you don't have faith, that's called complaining. Now you can do it, you just don't get anything for it. You know, sometimes it's good just to pour your, out, your heart out to the Lord. Lord, I'm having a bad day. Wham, wham, wham. Send you wham wins. It's all good. You have a relationship with God. But God only responds to faith. He doesn't respond to you complaining. You are not a victim. You are a victor. You were born to win. You're destined to win. So how many understand that when we come to prayer, we're to come with faith? We're not just to come with a problem. We're to come with a faith-filled solution. And when I believe, I'll read it to you one more time. If you believe, therefore I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe that you've already received them and they shall be granted to you. That's a good word. There's a, yesterday I watched three times a video, a TED talk by Elon Musk. Is his name Elon? Elon. You know, people spell their names however they want, and then they pronounce them however they want. (laughs) My name is Chris. That's the German version. (laughs) Okay, we're moving on from that. He's the CEO of Tesla, and he builds electric cars. But what I learned in the last several months is that he also started a business called SpaceX, and he wants to colonize Mars by 2040. His vision, I listened to it three times to make sure I heard it, his vision (laughs) is to put 80,000 people on Mars by 2040. Now, I have a lot of people that follow me that speak to people from Mars (laughs) and have a very similar (laughs) vision. I have no idea why they follow me. Why don't they follow Bill? I'm like, you're on the wrong Facebook page. (laughs) I had a guy who flew to Jupiter once. I mean, they write, (laughs) on a serious note, they write me these crazy things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. We're flowing not together. (laughs) But when Elon has a vision to colonize Mars, he builds a rocket. He builds the most powerful rocket in human history. And he can take the size of 40 automobiles in that rocket. And he also made the rocket reusable. So when it comes back to earth, he can just refill it and send it again. Which I don't know why no one thought of that. I'm always thinking, why the rocket come down and we have to spend another billion dollars to build one? Like, why not save it? But anyway, it's a good point. He was in traffic not long ago, in L.A. traffic, and bumper-to-bumper traffic, and he thought, this is a waste of time. We should tunnel under L.A. and build a hyperloop that cars get on a skate, they drop down an elevator onto a skate, and they go 120 miles an hour under the earth. Now, I've been in traffic. I never think, think I'm going to build a tunnel. (laughs) I just think, dang, I hate traffic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just, <laughs> uh, you know, 
he, he, he's the CEO of Solar City, and his, uh, his dedication is to solve climate change. I mean, I just think it's hot. I don't think it, I think I'll build factories all over the world and solve climate change problem. I'm all I'm getting, and the guy's an atheist. They asked him, do you think there could be a God? He said, I doubt it. Like, he only thinks single-dimensional. I'm like, the problem with Musk's thinking is he's limited to the laws of physics. And we have the, <laughs> are you with me? The manifold wisdom of God, which means multicolor or multidimensional. We actually have received Ephesians 3, the manifold wisdom of God. And we can think like, like Elon Musk thinks, but we can also think on other dimensions because what's visible was actually created from the invisible that he doesn't know about. But we don't think like that. And I'm saying, we're trying to change a city. <laughs> He's going to the moon and colonizing the moon and towing under LA and solving climate change. And we're trying to say, change a city. And people are like, oh, I don't think so. I don't know. All these people. Oh, this, this, we can't do this. This is so hard. We have crime. We have, we have drugs. We have, we have oh, just so hard. There's 89,000 people in our city. There's 9,000 people in our church on any given Sunday, not to mention all the wonderful other churches in town, and we don't think we can change one city. I got an atheist telling under L.A. because he was stuck in traffic. Are you with me at all? An atheist is telling under LA because he's stuck in traffic. And then they asked him, and you watch the video, you should watch the TED Talk. They said, now, why do you want to go to to Mars? He said, well, because I want to wake up every day with something hopeful for the future. I mean, I want to wake up every day hopeful for the future too, but I don't think, like, well, we should probably go to Mars. if you're with me, I'm just saying like, guys like that, they make me freaking crazy. You know, I'm from Weaverville. I love Weaverville. There is not a stoplight in all of Weaverville. It's a county bigger than Shasta County. Not one stoplight. You know why? I mean, you're like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, sort of, and sort of not. It's telling. How many know what you create? It doesn't define you, but it does... It does reveal you. Oh, we don't want to do anything that would make, you know, people come here and spend money, solve our financial problem. I mean, this is where the elephants go to die. If you have an idea in Weaverville, you are going to be attacked on all sides. Do not change our city. We've been this way since 48. That's 18. And then I come to Reading, and I'm like, whoa, we can breathe here. And then I find out, no, these people think the same way. They need to move to Weaverville. <laughs> you give $500,000 to our city last month. You probably heard the story. And people are like, oh, what's their motive? I don't know. Change the city. How come no one cares about his motive? I mean, what's he thinking? I'm going to own Mars. I'm getting there first. The real estate's going to be amazing. That stupid people is so ridiculous. Small thinking driving me crazy. Why can't someone just want to change a city because they want to change a city? 
Why can't I be, why can't I be hungry for my grandchildren to walk down the street without their cars getting stolen and without them getting accosted? Why can't I just want a city that prospers? What's wrong with that? Oh, yeah, some other motive. Yeah, I have a motive. I want my city to prosper. Jeremiah prophesied, pray for the prosperity of Babylon because in, your, in their prosperity is your prosperity. We gotta stop small thinking, man. Driving me crazy. You guys raised another $17,000 last week while I was gone to help our city with the police department. People are like, well, that's not gonna solve it. No, $500,000 isn't gonna solve it, but doing nothing is definitely not gonna solve it. Well, you could have used it here. You could have, well, it's not your money. It's our money, and that's where we used it. We put police officers who are actually... Re- <laughs> Do you know the police officers, the jobs we save? They're the police officers that actually go in and prevent crime. That's actually... You want to get rid of those people? No, I don't want the crime to get worse. Was that all you're going to do? No, we're going to change our city. Five years from now, this is going to be an amazing city to live in, and people are going to come here like they visit Paris and like they visit Geneva, and they're going to say, those crazy people over there, they believe God for a changed city. And then we're going to Jupiter. So now I'm thinking. If an unbeliever can go to Mars, we should go further. That's all I'm thinking. Number three, we are commissioned to disciple nations. That means that we want our cities to thrive. I was praying um, in in the first day of my vacation. And I I don't, to be honest, I wish I could say I pray like this all the time. I don't, but I do on vacation, you know. When when I'm not on vacation, I'm just praying, oh crap, I'm late again. That's what I'm usually praying, you know. I don't know if I have faith when I'm saying that. But I was praying... Stayed in bed a little later, and I was praying in bed, and I seriously was praying. These are my, this is the beginning of my prayer. God, give us world changers. God, bring big people to the city. God, help us to have wisdom to change our city. I was praying that. I was actually praying that prayer. As I was praying that prayer, my, I got a text message from a very good friend of mine. Now, remember, I'm praying, God, send us world changers. God, let us have kingdom-minded people that have faith. God, help us to overcome little people with little thinking and poverty mindsets. As I'm thinking, as I'm praying those exact words or something very similar, I get a text, and it's Steve Jobs' quote. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. They have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them. You can disagree with them. You can glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the only ones who do. Well, I'm praying... I mean, that's a great quote, right? I've heard it before. But while I'm praying, I get this thing. And I'm like, it's a kiss from God. They can vilify you. They can persecute you. But the one thing they can't do is ignore you. We're coming to a neighborhood near you. (laughs) Jesus said in Matthew 28, 
make disciples of all nations. How many know that discipling cities, is, it's just practice? <laughs> like, it's just practice. It's not even the real game. We're just practicing for the big game. In Romans 4, 18, it says, speaking of um, Abraham, in hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to which was spoken, listen to this, so shall your descendants be. How many know that the promise to Abraham, the father of faith, 400 years before the law, Abraham was? The promise to Abraham is that you shall be a father, not to Israel, to many nations. And so shall your descendants be. What? Fathers to nations. How many know we are called to father nations? We are called to be mothers in nations. The Muslims are fathering five nations. Christians, zero. Isaiah 6, I'm sorry, Isaiah 9 7 says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There shall be no end to the increase of his government or peace. How many understand that where God's government increases, peace increases? And five, uh, 2,500 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said, and there shall be no end to the increase of his government or peace. The church has to stop looking backwards, man. How many of you know the book of Acts was a great beginning, but it was never meant to be the end of all things? People are like, well, in the Jesus movement. Well, you know, back in 42, back in 1906, that was a real move of God. How many know that if, the, if technologists did that, we'd still be looking at the light bulb? You wouldn't, have a, you wouldn't have a computer. You wouldn't have an iPhone. You wouldn't have technology. We'd be like, oh, look, we need to get back to the light bulb. I'm simply saying part of the challenge with Christianity is we're always trying to get back to something. How many know we've got to honor the past, live in the present, and look to the future? You've got to honor the past, not live in the past. Honor the past, live in the present, and look to the future. Jeremiah said, I already quoted it, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare will you have welfare. Abraham was looking, Hebrews 11.10, for a city which had foundations. Listen to this. He was looking for a city that had foundations and whose architect and builder was God. Interesting. The word foundations in the Greek is spelt like this. T-H-E-M-E-L-I-O-U-S. T-H-E-M-E-L-I-O-S. It's where we get our word theme. Abraham was looking for a city that had a God theme. (laughs) Are you with me? That had a God theme. I'd like to propose to you that there are apostolic cities. Oh, what's an apostolic city? I'm about to tell you. Thank you for asking. In Genesis chapter 28, the story starts in verse 10. Jacob goes to a city called Lutz, L-U-Z. It means in Hebrew, almonds. It was probably an almond orchard. It was probably a city named after an almond orchard. He goes to the almond orchard. He falls asleep, puts a, puts a rock under his head, and falls asleep. And he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees angels ascending and descending. How many remember this story? He has, a, he has a dream of angels ascending and descending. He wakes up, and he says, God was here, and I didn't even know it. And get this. And then he names the city Bethel. It goes from almonds to Bethel. Bethel means 
the house of God. Now, what's amazing is, from that day on, that city's name remained Bethel. The city's name remained Bethel. In other words, the city's DNA changed from being famous for almonds to being famous for encounters. And from that day on, follow me, Jacob's encounter with God actually transitioned the theme of the land. So that when people wanted to encounter God all through the Bible, including Jesus, they went to Bethel. And when they went to Bethel, they encountered God at Bethel. Now, they didn't all have dreams. They didn't all have visions. But they all had encounters with God. Why? Because Jacob's DNA, his DNA began to cry out from the ground. It actually transitioned the ground from one theme to another theme. A God encounter changed the DNA of the land. Isaiah 62 says, and it actually says two different things in two different versions. In one version it says, Isaiah 62 says, And to your land will you be married. Another version says, And to your land will the Lord be married. I propose when you marry a land, so does he. That the land itself, like... No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm just trying to say it in the way I mean it. The land itself actually takes on the DNA of its people when the people take ownership of the land and re-identifies the land. There's a, a, there was a, a war that David was in. I'm sorry, I didn't find the verse. I didn't look up the verse. But he's in this war, and he, and he says to God, am I going to win? And God says, yes. When you hear the noise above the trees... Go in and attack. He goes in and attacks. You probably remember the story. It's a pretty popular story. They win the battle. Of course, the noise above the trees is angels. And he calls the place, in, in Hebrew, I, I don't remember the name, but he calls the place, the place where God broke through. And from that day on, it says, and that became the name of the city. In other words, David's encounter with God transitioned the land. So if you wanted a breakthrough, you came to Perayusa, the place where God broke through. I'd like to propose to you that this, <laughs> here we go. This is where the people follow me. <laughs> I'd like to propose that the anointing, the gift that's on this house. In fact, I'd like to propose that it's on Bill. The way Bill reads the Bible. And we all go, huh, read that last week. Never saw that. Never saw that either. Whoa, how did that happen? The spirit of revelation that's on Bill is actually on our city. And what, how many understand that the Spirit of God that was on Solomon that made him smart made Samson strong? It made uh, Belza a great craftsman. It made, you, you get the idea. I'm saying the same Spirit on a person has different manifestations, right? The, the Spirit that's on Bill causes people to see things that have never been seen before. I'd like to propose that this city will be famous in five years as a spirit, as a place where people get breakthroughs into all kinds of inventions, innovation, science, medical inventions, and that there'll be a university in our city that becomes a research capital of the U.S. And that people will find brilliant ideas and solutions And they will see things that have never been seen before. And I'm talking about medical solutions, science solutions. Because this place is a place of revelation. It's not just on our house. It's on the houses in the city. And now it's in our city. Our 
our encounter with God is redefining our city. I see it's Highway 5. It's the highway of grace. Are you with me? With the Sacramento River running through it. And along the river, I see that there's going to be um, think tanks from you know, Apple and HP and Microsoft. They will come here to revelate, to R&D, to think. And they'll be like, oh, there's just a beautiful place there along the river. You'll really love it. But what they don't understand is what's really drawing them is something in a dimension that Musk doesn't know about. Are you with me? And therefore, we are shaping a new destiny for our city. This is what we're doing. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. You may not, but I know what you're doing here. Because I've been praying for people. Lord, send us world changers. Lord, send us people that think big. Send us people who can that have the confidence to go, hey, I think we should go to Mars. I'm thinking. I uh, need some folks that can build a rocket. We don't need people who have fantasies. We need people that dream the dreams of God. There's enough people that have fantasies that never do anything. <laughs> we had the men together, I don't know, it's probably three weeks ago. Four or five hundred men gathered. And I started thinking, I'm supposed to get these men pregnant. These men need to be pregnant with a vision for our city. They need to wake up in the morning and say, this is my city. And that crap doesn't happen in my city. This stuff is supposed to happen in my city. And I said to the men, men, this is your city. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I said, no, no, no. This is your city. When you see a homeless person, that's not a homeless person. That's your homeless person. See, Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. The goal is to always have poor people with you. I know middle-class people, they want to put the poor people, oh, I don't, don't, don't want them on my steps. I don't want them over here. I don't want them. Well, they're your people. God sends them to the place where you'll pay attention. How many know a noble city is marked by how it takes care of the people who have no recourse? Let me say it again. A noble city is marked by the way it deals with the people who have no recourse. How do you deal with people who can't give back to you? What do you do with people? How many know the goal isn't to get rid of the poor, the goal is to take care of the poor. And not give them a hand up, but give them a handout. Thank you, Chris, for that. Number four. The attributes of an apostolic people. Did you remember what we're doing? <laughs> Number four, we're almost done. 11 minutes. You endure till the end, you'll be saved. <laughs> Number four, we believe in a fantastic future. Therefore, we have a 100-year vision that necessitates a positive eschatology. How many know that if we're going to actually change culture... We actually have to believe that we're going to be here for a while. I know it's good. They just don't know it. In Jeremiah 29, 11, probably one of the most quoted verses. 
I know the plans I have for you. Do you know when Jeremiah quoted that? It's when they were in the 20th year, approximately, of a 50-year exile in the Babylon. And God said to them, I know the plans I have for you, not plans for calamity, but listen to this, plans to give you a future and a hope. How many know when we create eschatology that takes away our future, how many know it's you're, you're, if you don't believe, if you believe the world's going to burn up, you're not going to actually be involved in changing ruined cities. I want to read you a verse that's in the Bible. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 2. This is becoming one of my favorite verses. Now, it will come about in the last days. When? Okay, let me read it to you again. It will come about in the last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will become established as chief of the mountains. Now, if you understand prophetic talk, this is about authorities, mountains, authorities. In other words, the mountain, the authority of the Lord will become chief above all all the other authorities and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and they will come and say, let us come to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways. And we may walk in his paths. For the law, the instruction will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations. Listen to this. He will render decisions between many peoples. And they will hammer their swords in the plowshares, and their spears in the pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they train for war. When is that? In the last days. You go, well, that's the millennium. Well, that's your opinion, because it says in the last days. It doesn't say in the millennium. And Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2, as we well know, and he quoted Joel, which says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Isn't it funny how we receive the spirit being poured out on all flesh as in the last days, but we see Isaiah 2 as in the millennium. And I'd like to propose that we push stuff into the millennium that we have no faith to believe for it. And we say, well, that's going to happen in the millennium. And I'd like to propose to you, it's going to happen in the millennium if God can't find people that will believe for it now. I'd like to propose that your faith has everything to do with the timeline. God may have promised you a certain thing, but how many understand that your lack of faith will delay God's promise in your life? In fact, we have a great example in Israel in the wilderness, don't we? God said, you're going to the promised land. Do you understand? It was 40 days journey from Egypt to the promised land. It took them 40 years, and they all died except for Joshua and Caleb. God's God's word wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad prophetic word. It was no faith. I'd suggest that many timelines in the Bible have to do with if God can find a people who will believe. What if God is saying... That this is the time when people will no longer train for war. What if, what if it's true? What if it's now? You go, well, how about North Korea? How about if we, when North Korea rises up with missiles, we go, uh-uh. Oh, not on my shift. You're not supposed to be training for war. And we begin to prophesy, just like the Lord said, when you pray, believe, and receive. What if we said, hey, how many know, before you believe you can do it, you, should have, you, believe, you have to believe you should. 
Let me say it again. Before you believe you can, you have to believe you should. And I'm saying, what if we see Iraq and Iran and, uh, and all these crazy things happening in the world, and we see North Korea, and we see people, wars and rumors of wars, and we're like, we already have wars and rumors of wars. That's fulfilled. What we haven't had in the last days is never again will they train for war. And what if we say we're the apostolic people that believe for peace? And I'm not talking about just the absence of, of war. I'm talking about the presence of God. I'm talking about how about if we begin to pray these Isaiah 2 words over nations and we say, no, no, you're not supposed to kill anybody else. And we just begin to prophesy. How many know prophecy is both foretelling, I'm telling you the future, and foretelling, I'm causing the future. When Ezekiel came to the valley of dry bones, God said, can these bones live? He didn't tell God, well, these bones, you know, let me tell you 14 reasons why these bones can't live. He said, you know. We got to have a whole lot more people who say, you know, instead of no way. Can these bones live? Well, theologically speaking, I don't think so. Um, you know, let me tell you about Matthew 20. Well, how about, you know. Okay, prophesy to the bones. How many know he didn't prophesy about the bones? He prophesied to the bones. He wasn't calling, he, <laughs> he was calling things that are not as though they were. And it was actually, he was actually a catalyst to the bones becoming a mighty army. How many of us become... <laughs> A catalyst to mighty armies becoming bones. We have to start prophesying like God prophesied. We have to start thinking that we're supposed to have a fantastic future. I'm saying the reason why all these people who don't know God are creating amazing things is because they actually believe there's supposed to be a future. And we're like, uh uh-uh, not on my shift. I'm like, we're not going to have a fantastic future on my shift. We're going to have a tribulation. (laughs) Then the beast is going to eat you and take your children and cut your heads off. And then the nations, and then the nations are all going to bleed to death, and that's, it's all over, brother. Now, you, wanna, you want the good news or not? I'm like, come on, guys. Abraham, you're going to be a father to many nations. You're going to be a father to many nations. How many know the promises are yes and amen? Not the curses. The promises are yes and amen. And we are an apostolic people living in an apostolic age with an apostolic mission. Make earth like heaven. This is the prayer. See how it is in heaven? You're seated in heavenly places. Yes, I see that, Lord. Well, make earth like that. Until I'm comfortable bringing my city down there. We're always praying for people to go to heaven. Jesus never prayed for people to go to heaven. He prayed for earth to, to heaven to come to earth. For earth. You know, if you get... Heaven in people, you'll get people in heaven. (laughs) Mm, I know, we pray for people to go to heaven. They live like hell and they figure out they're going to go to heaven. Like, let's get heaven in people. Let's release the kingdom everywhere we go. Let's think bigger than, least bigger than mosque. We are the can-do people. We are the all-things-are-possible people. We are the, yes, the city's bad, but we're here, people. We've come to a city near you. I started to tell you that I had these men together that I thought, I'm supposed to get these men pregnant. And I started telling them about our city. And I said, what if 250 of you, I was talking about the crime rate at that moment. I said, what if 250 of you every, every week walked the city with shirts on like, I'm a dad to this city. Like 250 of you walked into the, the toughest neighborhoods and you, there was always shifts of 10 or 15 guys there just to say, hey, I'm here to bring peace. That's what I've come for. 
I've come to reconcile people with this. I've not come to beat people up. I've come with the spirit of reconciliation on me. And when I see this person, this person, I'm like, hey, let's sit down and talk. And there's a spirit of counsel on me and a spirit of wisdom. And I asked the men, how many of you would do that if there was a sign up? And almost everyone in the room stood up and said, count me in. They started yelling, count me in, count me in. I'm like, we can change this city. It ain't that hard. And then we can change a nation. Because if we can change a city, we can change a nation. And if we can change a nation, we can change the world. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kings of our God. We have a motive. We've come to change the world. People are like, well, the devil has a scheme. You know, there's the Illuminati. Well, God has a scheme too. And God's isn't a secret. You know why? Because he's all powerful. He doesn't have to hide. He's like, here's what I'm doing right here. Try and stop me. Illuminati's over here. Got our secret little club. You better stay secret because we're coming. And we're not coming to Christianize the world. We're coming to help the world. We're coming to make our city a better place. We're not coming to manipulate people to pray a prayer. We're coming to better people's life. We're coming to do good works in such a way that they see our good works, our good works, not our good words, our good works, and they glorify our Father who's in heaven. I love this. You know, in the, and I'll finish with this one-minute story. When Joseph lived in Egypt, he became such a blessing to Egypt that when his father, Jacob, died, Jacob said to Joseph, his son, don't bury me here. Bury me in Canaan. So he dies. And Joseph goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, my papa made me promise him I would bury him in in Canaan. Can I go? And Pharaoh says, not only can you go, but we are all going with you. And it says this, that the Israelites wept for 40 days for Jacob, but the Egyptians wept for 70 days. And when they went from Egypt to Canaan, they passed through a city of, I'm sorry, I think it was the uh, Amalekites. It was one of the enemy cities. And it says, here's what they said. They saw the Egyptians weeping, and they called the, the trail, the place where the Egyptians wept. What would happen if you actually so benefited Pharaoh, the world, that they actually wept when you passed? That's my goal. I know that people will hate us for doing great stuff at times, but I also know that there's a bunch of people that love Jesus who were called sinners. You gotta have some enemies because Jesus said, Love your enemies, so you gotta have some so you can love them. (laughs) But that shouldn't be an excuse for actually doing works in a way that people go, I don't know what their motive is. They must have a weird motive. Ah, no, those are the crazy people. Those are the weird ones. Those are the strange ones. You can talk bad about them, but you can't ignore them. That's who we are. Would you stand? Put your hand on your heart. Say this. I was born to change the world. I'm here to bring the kingdom wherever I go. In my city, my city will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Everybody in my city will experience 
the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because it's my city. God is my X factor. No matter the bad news, the good news is better than the bad news. In Jesus' name, things are getting better. Things are progressing. Government of God is increasing. And more peace is happening. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated in several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.